Thank you, Kyle. Thank you, worship team. It's always good to sing the gospel, right? I mean, that was, that, I, that's one of my favorite songs. It's just so clear who Jesus is, that he's our champion, that he's the one that, that we gather for. And so it's a delight. It really is a delight to be here. Um, I, so I work for you. Uh, you may not know that, but I am the lead missional strategist, which is just a long way to say that there's a group of 211 churches who I get to, the privilege of helping coordinate their efforts as they try to serve the city with the gospel. And so your church generously gives to that so that churches that can't afford resourcing uh, can get resourcing. And so I'm, I'm here to say, partly to say thank you for that. And, and not only that, Andrew gives leadership to your pastor gives leadership to our um, finance team. So he helps me make, he, he helps hold me accountable to make sure that we spend the money in the way that we say that, that we, we spend it. And then a little known, um, super important ministry in the Jacksonville Baptist Association is our ministry to pastor's wives. And uh, my bride helps coordinate that. And your pastor's wife, Christy, is on the team that helps to steer that. And um, if you ever lack for someone to pray for, pray for your pastor's wife first and then pray for other pastor's wives in the city. It's not an easy role to be a pastor's wife, but it's a super important role. I know that um, uh, Andrew talked about Ukraine and we're all disturbed by what we're seeing and, and you may have personal connections there, but because you're a part of the Jacksonville Baptist Association, there's actually somebody who used to pastor in our city who's now an international mission board missionary to Ukraine, and he's had to flee. They're now in Budapest, and I'm not going to say his whole name, but his name is Mike, so it, Mike and his family. And um, so pray for Mike. If you need a personal connection to the tragedy that's happening, pray for Mike. This is how personal it got. We FaceTimed with him the other day, and he needed a place for his dogs that they were going to have to leave that his kids love to be safe during the invasion. And so I'm not saying that that's the ultimate thing that anybody needs, but on a dad's heart, when you're already, you're heartbroken because you're leaving the people that God's called you to serve and take the gospel to, and then you pile on top of that, what's gonna happen to my kids' dogs? So here's the neat thing, God brought an answer to that. So pray for Mike and his family. Well, it's my, it's my joy to, um, to step into the pulpit today and speak from a passage of scripture that I hope will be, uh, will build on that song that we just sang, but it's Ephesians chapter 2, verses um, 1 through uh, 11. And while you're turning there, let me just say, I love those, air, those the, um, the mark things that you guys are about to do. Here's two other reasons you may want to do it besides the amazing reasons your pastor said to do it. Is number one, if you have grandkids or young kids, and you can take notes in that, this becomes an heirloom. This becomes a way that you can pass on to them what, what you were learning as you did that. What an amazing gift. It's also an, an easy way to measure progress, your spiritual progress. Look at, so next year sometime, pick it up again after you finish the book of Mark and see what you said and see if, if, if you're following through on some of the things that you said were, uh, were important. Uh, so anyway, I'm excited for what God might be doing uh, as you guys study the book of Mark together. I want you to take a second and I want you to imagine with me a situation where you hear something that is supposedly true and it, it, it comes from a trustworthy source and if it's true, it would help you, but it would be 
easy to ignore because it doesn't fit into your plans. It's not what you were planning. Uh, in 1961, President John F. Kennedy started uh, the, um, uh, the Peace Corps. And the Peace Corps was a humanitarian effort to try to get young adults uh, to different places in the world, not for Christian causes, but for humanitarian causes. And so what they did is they would train these guys. Remember, this was before the internet, so there were notebooks that they trained people with. And, and so if you were going up north where it was going to be cold, uh, your training manual might include something like how to build an igloo in case, you get, uh, in, in case you get in a place where you get in a blizzard. Or if you were going to a place that, that was like a desert and not ample water, you, yours might have had, how do you find water uh, in the desert? My favorite page was those that were sent to the jungle. There was a page in that particular manual that said how to survive an anaconda attack. So if, a, if you know what an anaconda is, it's one of those 25 foot long snakes that are about this big, weigh several hundred pounds. And, and so this is supposedly how you're supposed to survive an anaconda attack. Listen and see what you think. Uh, the first thing is this, don't run. The snake is faster than you are. It would have to prove it. Uh, <laughs> Number two, lie flat on the ground, put your arms tight against your sides and your legs close together. Tuck your chin in. The snake will begin to nudge and climb all over your body. And then I love this, don't panic. The snake will begin to swallow you feet first. You must lie perfectly still. This will take a long time. When the snake has finally reached your waist, reach down, grab your knife slide it into the inside of the snake's mouth between the mouth and your leg and rip upward. This will sever the snake's head. And then the final two, number nine, be sure you have your knife. And number 10, be sure your knife is sharp. Now I'm not making this up. This is really was in that training manual. And here's what I'm telling you. If that's true, then I'm dead because I'm not doing it. It might be super helpful, but I don't believe it, I don't trust it. I'm gonna to try to figure another way. And as we die, you're probably thinking, what in the world does that have to do with Ephesians 2? That is a fair question. Um, Ephesians chapter two, verses one through 10, talk about some things that are true, but at some level are a little bit hard to receive. And they're there to help us. It's there to help us if we can trust it. What I'm saying to you is you can trust it even if you don't feel like you can trust it. And so if you feel like I do about the anaconda thing, as you hear this, I'm asking you to lean in. I'm asking you to trust that, that we know this because God wanted us to know it. And so let me pray and then we'll jump into the text. Here we go. Father, thank you for the opportunity today to be the mouthpiece for your words. I pray that you would stir our hearts where they need to be stirred. I pray that you would comfort our hearts where they need to be comforted. I pray that our ears would be sensitive to not the preacher, but to the spirit. And I pray that our hearts would be soft to receive the word implanted so that transformation can occur. And Father, at the end of the day, what I pray is that there would be hearts aligned with what you've said and that you would, be, you would receive new glory from greater affection for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
So as we jump in um, to the text, the, it might be helpful to know that the, the book of Ephesians is one of the pastoral epistles. It's one of the, it's one of the letters that Paul wrote while he was in, in prison. And, and most scholars think it was written about 60 or 61 AD, which is about 25 years after um, uh, the death of burial and resurrection of Jesus. So let me put some time frame on that. That's about how long it's been since the Jaguars were started. Okay, so now think about this with me. So in that span of time, the Jaguars weren't, and now they are. It, so it's not a long, so, so, so this is fresh, this is Paul speaking in a time frame that we can remember. The death, burial, and resurrections only happened a little bit ago. And so what Paul is doing is he's, actually the book of Ephesians is kind of a, kind of a, a manual to the early church on how to be the church. You know, Lifeway wasn't invented yet. <laughs> I mean, and, and so that nobody knew how to do this. So they, were the, so they had to rely on the Holy Spirit to be able to guide that. And, and what's interesting about the text is what it's going to teach us is this. Is that in Christ, believers are alive and activated. In Christ... Believers are alive and activated. Alive meaning we're spiritually alive. We're able to have a real and meaningful relationship with God. A relationship that allows us to listen to him, but also to respond to him because he knows us and we know him. It is to, and it's a relationship that because we know that he loved us first, we love him back, but activated. See, God didn't save us just to take us to heaven. He saved us to activate us so that as long as we're here on the earth, we are actively involved in extending his kingdom. And so activated means we're not activated to attend church, we're activated to be the church. And so Reggie McNeil, a missional theologian, says that God activated us to be the people of God, partnering with him in his redemptive mission in the world. So generally speaking, Jacksonville is the mission field of 211 churches all kind of in the same tribe. But individually, you have a, when you, in just a few minutes, the church is going to leave the building. And you have a mission field. It's a neighborhood. It's, a, it, it's, it's an office complex. It's a school. It's, it, it's a sports team. It, it's wherever you are, that is your mission field. And, and the collective mission field of that all the people that are in this room, it's a big deal to God. And he has empowered you not only to be alive, but he's activated you to be as much of a missionary in that mission field as he activated Mike and his family in Ukraine to be a missionary there. Uh, I'm, so, Bob, why do we need to know this? Well, I'm convinced of something. I'm convinced that some of us, and again, maybe not you, maybe not in this church, but in other churches in Jacksonville, there are some of us who have done this church thing so long we've almost gotten over it. Kind of like the couple that's still married, at least legally, but they don't have the joy they once had in the relationship because they kind of lost touch with their friendship. They've lost touch with the love, hope, and joy that they dreamed about at the wedding altar. I have to tell you, Tina and I have been married 37 years last October, and we've known each other five years before that, so bless her heart, for 42 years, um, she's been tagging along with me. That, I did the math this morning, that's 15,469 days. And, and here's what's funny about it. 
the only reason it's still working is because Jesus is really good and Tina's really forgiving. And so here's what I want us to, to ask as we jump into the text. How are you doing? Do, is your relationship with Jesus just church? Or do you know him? And do you listen to him? And do you enjoy his presence? Listen, it's possible to enjoy him even if life is tough. And so as we jump in, here's the first point of the sermon. Our human condition is darker than we think. Our human condition is darker than we think. In, verse, in, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, it reads like this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us who lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts, like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. And so in these first three verses, no matter what side of the tracks you were, you were born on, what, what the scripture is telling us is that our starting point with God is further away than we think. Notice what it says. It, it, it says, as for you, you were dead. It means that you didn't have the ability to initiate a relationship with God. And what it also says is that, is that, that we learned to sin well. That's what it means when it says that, that you... Uh, you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. It means you were good at living for the wrong things. You see, Paul is helping, helping these believers, these Jesus followers, remember where they started when their God awareness started. So let me ask you this. Where were you the first time you realized that there was a God and he might be interested in you? You see, because to be spiritually dead means dead. It means no life. It means the inability. We, we did not have the ability to reach out to God. He reached out to us. You know, religion is us reaching out to God, hoping that he'll be merciful. Christianity is God already reaching out to us while we were a mess so that we could then respond to the love that he has initiated for us. We were literally born without the capacity to desire God. The scripture says that's because we were born into a broken world in a condition called sin. And, we, and, and that was by our nature and by our choice. We were born with a spiritually terminal disease. Paul is, in, in this text, is, is trying to remind us that at the foot of the cross, red, yellow, black, and white, rich, poor, old, young, man, woman, it's level. The ground is level. We all have the same issue. And it's the world, the, the flesh and the devil. He reminds us of, of, of Jesus' uh, temptation in the wilderness where Satan said he could have stuff if he would just surrender to him. And, and it's really those three areas that cause us problems. In this condition, this sin condition, this unredeemed sin condition, it's really crazy, but we think the world's way of thinking about marriage and beauty and parenting is ultimately right. I mean, think about this. The next time you go to Publix, just turn around while you're, after you got all your 
stuff on the, the conveyor belt and look at the magazine covers. The world thinks that's true. The world thinks that all that stuff on the covers of those magazines is desirable and true. And, and here's, here's what God has given us the ability as followers of Christ. When we don't have Christ, we live without discernment. We, we, we don't know how to critique what we're experiencing. It's like going to a water park and being in the lazy river, you know, the little inner tube things where you sit there and you just kind of float along. It's like being in the lazy river of sin floating toward destruction. Not even no destruction is coming. Parents in the room, isn't it right that there are some things that feel right that are not right? I mean, there are some things, don't you wish you could tell your kids? I mean, you probably do tell your kids, but don't you wish they heard you? When you said that's not going to have a good ending. And so for those of us who are followers of Jesus, it's a good thing to remember which lazy river of sin God rescued you from. What's the lazy river of sin that, that he didn't want you to be destroyed by? And so where were you when you realized that God loved you? And have you responded to that? Or are you still being lulled in that lazy river of sin? Well, if our human condition is darker than we thought, then um, the grace of God is brighter than we can imagine. In verses 4 through 7, what we learn is that God is for us. Listen to what it says. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus." And so as we look at this text, it's super important um, to, to know that, if, that um, in, in the NIV, your, your translation, the, the words, but God might be separated, that they might be apart. But in the Greek text, they're not separated. It, it's, it's, this, it's this moment, it's this incredibly dramatic moment where, in, where we're in the lazy river of sin, but God... But God, God decided to orchestrate something to get your attention so that he could lift you out of that lazy river. You see, God is the God of the turnaround. The world wants us to believe that God is the God of, of, of judging you with no way out. But at the end of the day, all of God's judgment is a revelation so that we can find him. It's to help us get over ourselves is to help us understand that there's a loving, heavenly Father who spared no cost to step into our mess and lift us out. God is the God of the turnaround. And here's the amazing truth of this, is that eternal life means that we enter into God's life now, not when we die. Listen to me. Yes, you get heaven, but if that's all you're hoping for, you're missing it. 
Because the minute you say yes to Jesus, the scripture says that you go from death to life. You enter into God's Zoe life, his eternal life, a kind of life that you cannot experience except as a believer in Jesus Christ. And so you have a new source of life instantly. Your perspective changes. Now, it's not fully mature yet. If you have 37 years of sin, it's not going to change in one minute. You have habits that need to be broken. But here's the thing. You now have capacity to live the empowered spiritual life. I have four grandkids. And they were born with their born healthy grandkids. And, and guess what? I'm assuming someday they'll be an adult who can be gainfully employed, take care of themselves, eat, and maybe take care of aging grandparents. But here's the thing. They didn't come from the factory that way. They came as babies. They came as people totally helpless. I mean, they were fully human and they could do some cute stuff, but they're not done cooking yet. <laughs> and, and so when we come to Christ, we're babes in Christ. That's why disciple making, that's why taking notes when your church offers a way to study the book of Mark together. Man, this isn't a college class, this is life. This is feeding your soul. This is feeding your heart. This is transforming your mind so that literally God has more space in you to do what he wants to do in and through you. Here's the thing. Most of us try to create a new lifestyle before we fully embrace the fact that a, a new lifestyle is the fruit of a new heart. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 tells us that we need to work out our salvation. That means we need to learn what it means to be Christian. I want you to think about this with me for just a second. I want you to imagine that you responded to a, suppose you like um, Beethoven music. You like, you like classical orchestra music. And so you paid $100 to hear the world's best orchestra perform his music. And so you're in there and, and, and what ends up happening it's when it's time for the show to start, the conductor taps the, the, the podium and everybody holds up their sheet music and holds it so you can see the sheet music and then they sit down and they walk out. You didn't come to see the sheet music. You came to hear an orchestra live out the notes on the page. We have accurate sheet music. It's the truth. But what God, we give God new glory, not when we hold up the word, but when the word gets in us and we begin to live it. And all of a sudden, this guy who never cared about things except himself, now he cares about other people. You see, that happens not because we're good people. It happens because when Jesus satisfied the wrath of God on sin, God came and changed our hearts. Uh, imagine with me, if you will, my kids are 30 and 33 now, but let's reverse time. Let's say that we're back when they were teenagers and we decided to go to Disney. And so we're in the Disney parking lot and we get there a little bit early, let's say. So we're kind of waiting at the gate and we're just having family fun. And, and my son, Caleb, let's suppose Caleb says, Dad, you see that guy over in the parking lot? I went to high school. I go to high school with him. He's not there anymore. 
I'm going to go talk to him. So he runs over and he brings the young man back and he said, Dad, this is Steve. Um, Steve's family has fallen on hard times and, and now he's homeless. He's down here in Orlando. He rode a bus down here trying to make it without, without family. Um, Dad, um, can he go to Disney with us? And the kid, Steve, says, no, 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 I don't have any money for Disney. I can't go in there with you, Caleb. But Caleb looks at me and says, Dad, can he come in? I know him. Like, we used to be buds. We're, I, he... So here's the thing. In that moment, what am I going to say? I'm going to say, yeah, Steve can come with us. Not because Steve is awesome, but because, he, because Caleb is. <laughs> I mean, because Caleb knows him. Caleb wants, Caleb loves him. And he brought him over. And so here's the thing. Here's what I want you to see. Caleb isn't the hero of that story. I'm the hero of the story because I'm paying for it. Here's the thing. <laughs> Jesus is the hero of the story because he's paying for our salvation so that we can have entrance into something tons better than Disney into eternal life. And so what we need to be is Caleb's who are spotting our friends who don't know they have, they don't have access to Jesus and inviting them to join us. The last thing, and we're done, is that is not only is the grace of God brighter than we can imagine and our human condition darker than we think, but the light of God's grace shines through our obedience. The light of God's grace shines through our obedience. Listen to what it says in uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared beforehand in advance for us to do. Notice the order. We are made alive and then we do good works. We're saved and then we do good works. We don't do good works and then find salvation. Salvation is the gift of God so that no one can boast. We don't work for salvation, we work from salvation. So God made us alive, God brought us on the team, and then he activated us once we were on the team. I love the phrase um, that we're God's handiwork. When I graduated from seminary, I had nowhere to go. We went home and we lived in my mother and father-in-law's basement for several months because I wasn't the hottest seminary property uh, to, for people wanting a pastor. And, um, and there were times I doubted that I was God's handiwork. That word, that word is poema. It literally means masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece. And so remember I said some of this could be hard to understand, like the anaconda thing? Here, here's what the scripture says about you. That we are his poema, you are his poema, you are his poem, masterpiece. Doesn't matter um, how you got in this room, it doesn't matter about all the mess, when God sees you, that's what he sees, we're his poema. Created, says we're created with a purpose in mind. So God has an eternal purpose for your life and that purpose, yes, it's heaven, but it's really not to get heaven so that you get a house on streets of gold, it's heaven so you can continue your relationship with Jesus. 
Jesus is the hero of heaven. The point of heaven is not the mansions. The point of heaven is God is in total control and there's no sin. So here's what I, here's what I want us to see. There's a special verb when it says that we're created this way. And I'm not gonna say what the verb is, it doesn't matter. But it's a, it's a, it means to shape or create, but it's a word only used once and it's only used of God. Only God can do this kind of changing. I, I'm not, I didn't bring it up, but I brought the little engine that could book with me this morning. The gospel is not the little people who could. We're the little people who can't. Jesus is the big God who did. And when you have the big God who did living inside you, you don't have to think of yourself as the little engine who could. All you have to do is be who God created you to be. Paul, as he talks about these good works that are prepared in advance for us to do, what he's meaning is there are things in this community that only your church can do. There are things, and when I say your church, I don't mean the building, I mean you. There are things that God wants to do. There are people that 1122 cannot reach. There are people that Chets Creek Church cannot reach. I could just go through all the names. And here's what I want, here's what I want you to see. You are here because there is a cloud of people that needs you to be missionaries to them, to tell them that their condition is darker than they think and God is brighter than they can imagine. I'm gonna close with this. In Matthew chapter five, in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, the, you know the salt and light passage, let me read it to you. Jesus tells the crowd, he's really talking to the 12, but the crowd hear it. He says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. And then verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. There's two things. We do good deeds not to earn brownie points. We do good deeds so God can get more glory. That's what it says. But there's something about this word, these, this phrase good deeds that I want to end on it literally means winsome that we do winsome deeds let me try to put winsome in a Jacksonville understanding or at least a Bob understanding have you ever done this have you and your girlfriend or you and your wife ever gone out to eat and you were going to go to a movie afterwards and so wherever you ate you said man I'm full but look can we agree that we're not going to get any popcorn and candy you know, I mean, can we just agree that that's not going to happen? I mean, isn't it true that the movie, it costs too much, and then you have to actually mortgage your home to, to, to get the rest of it? You can't even pay cash. you got to pay credit card because it's so much money. And so you, you've agreed. You've pinky promised that you're going to not buy the snacks. But then you open the door, and what happens? The popcorn smell, right? It just it goes... And you look at each other and you kind of give each other a pass and you just, you know, you let them scan your phone. Then you just walk straight over there and you pull out the credit card and you buy the snacks. You do that because popcorn is winsome. And here's what I want you to see. Here's what I want you to see. Winsome things always are noticed. 
And I'm not saying that you need to be noticed for your good. I'm saying that every time that you're winsome, God gets new glory. People know it's not you. (laughs) People know it's not me. They know I'm not that good when I'm winsome. And so here's, here's my closing thought for this particular message. You may not believe that the way to survive an anaconda attack is like I said in the beginning. And I'm with you. Let's go. If we ever go to the jungle, let's, let's just decide we'll do it our way. But I do need to ask you this. Do you believe that Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 10, and do you believe and trust that, that Jesus' promise that Paul talks about that he would make us alive and that he would activate us? Will you join me and believe in that? Because that matters. And it matters for our eternity. It matters for the joy within this fellowship. But it matters for all those people that you're going to rub shoulders with for the next six days until you come back. And so what's your next step? What is a way that you can take a step? Is it to accept Christ? Is it to remove something that's stopping you from moving forward? Or maybe you already know what it is. Whatever the Holy Spirit has prompted you to do, because he's the real teacher in the room, right? Whatever he's prompted, whatever the response is, do that thing. Let me pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for all that you do for us. Thank you for the songs that have been sung. Thank you for the truth in them. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for being a God that wants us to know you. For a God, thank you for being a God that wants to be known. Father, thank you for being a God that when we pray for Mike in Budapest, who was in Ukraine, that somehow those prayers matter. Father, I pray for each one of us today to ask the question, God, I'm alive. What is it you're activating me to do? What are the good works you have prepared in advance for me to do? Father, help me take the next step. Help me to take the baby step forward in faith. And Father, we will give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.